I got a crow. I'm just the cleverest fellow, t'was ever my fortune to know. I taught a trick to my shadow to stick to the tip of my toe. I got a crow. I got a brag. I think it's sweet. I have fingers and feet. I can wiggle and wag. I can climb trees and things. Welcome, one and all, to episode 104. That is 104 episodes, plus a whole lot of other stuff of the feminine critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine. Christine, what movies are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about 1994. 94's The Crow in 2008. Eight? I almost said eight, and then oh, I was going to go I'm ten. I'm sorry. I should have just no, let you try. I was, I was going to say ten, so you okay, saved me the that. humiliation. Yeah, ten years. Um, that movie is ten years old. Lake Mungo, who, a movie that I think is a standout in that whole, whatever those series of movies. The eight, eight films to die for, I believe is what they're for. called. So this is like the third, the third set of eight I films, so, right? Yeah. Look, let me tell you, I know we're going to talk about the movie, but I own the disc of this. I got it out of Half Price Books for like nice. $5 because I love this movie. Yeah. Spoilers. I'm with I you. love this movie's movie, but so we watched it and like the disc, you know, you put in, you know, you oh, put in the previews, right? The, the, the previews of the other eight films to die for. No, thank you. That's <laughs> what I say. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's so funny looking at those... Uh, because I, I mean, we're jumping ahead, but like one of the things about Lake Mungo, like the one, so it was um, behind the curtains. Christina and I were both like, when she suggested Lake Mungo, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Because I love that movie, and we realized both like, "Oh, both of us love it," and both of our husbands had not seen it. Mm-hmm. And I said to Christine, "Well, if both of them don't like it, we're going to get divorced and marry each other." <laughs> we did say that, and I definitely like terrified my husband. <laughs> when we sat down to watch it because like he he was well aware of the terms and conditions of this watch Mm -hmm. serious business and i realized too that i i oversold it because i kind of kept referring to it a bit as um like to me i was like oh this movie terrified me like this movie made me so nervous and so tense and i think he was expecting something different especially when you put that disc in and the first like five minutes of trailers are just like Yep. All of the 2008 shit that came out, where everything, it's, everybody's being tortured, and everything's was, really like, grisly, everything darkly lit. Everything cut together so frantically. Yep. E- yep. Everything has to one-up Saw, one way or another. And so with Lake Mungo, even though I had like sold it as like, oh, it's kind of a ghost story, it's this and this, like, I think still you go into it with a certain mindset when you look at that disc and even the cover, the cover art for this movie. And I'm guessing if you have the disc from the eight films, it's very, it makes it look like a film in that selection, in that collection. There's alternate art. That's a little more kind of haunting. I'm like, no, that's the right cover art for it. But I'm so glad to get to talk about this movie. Yes, I am. I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, Now the way we pick these movies is, uh, we actually it kind of started from a conversation on our Facebook page that I think it was James that brought up of thinking about revenge movies that were not inspired by rape, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
And it started this very, really interesting conversation. Anybody, hey, go to our Facebook page and join in. Uh, and The Crow came up. And obviously that is a revenge film that is inspired by rape. But it, in talking about it, I realized I'd never seen The Crow. And it was on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So I figured, hey, what better time than at the age of 36 in 2018 to watch <laughs> uh, the defining relevant goth ever. film of the 90s. And yet it was because it came up yep. in the news this week. It's true. Yeah. You couldn't have planned it better. I am pretty good at that. Yeah. And then you apparently, because I told you like, oh, see if you'll find something you want to pair it with. And I guess you looked at like a, what did, what did you look at? Like a ghostly revenge list? Yeah. So I said, to, this is what I do because I usually either, so two things happen. I either immediately think of something like mm-hmm. last, last episode where it was like, oh, Ravenous is yes. the obvious thing to pair with this. Or I have no idea and I want to scream. So <laughs> what happened when you said The Crow was I had no idea. So I said to I said to Zach. Or I you said, screamed to Zach. I screamed at him. I said, what would you pair The Crow with? And he's, so he breaks it down really logically. He's like, well, The Crow's kind of like like a supernatural revenge. Like it's, and I was like, okay, all right. So I just Googled supernatural revenge movies and... <laughs> This movie was on it? <laughs> and when you said that, I remember I said to you, like, I would in no way call this a revenge movie, but I don't no. care because I want to talk about Lake Mungo. So, yeah, so here we are, so it, folks. It all worked out. Yes, it did. Now, before we get into those movies, let's talk about other movies that are not supernatural revenge, unless they are, movies we've been watching. Christine, what have you got? Let's do it. What I'm going to say to you is I went to the movie theater and I saw the best movie ever. Whoa. Um, it was called Breaking In and it starred Gabrielle Union and it was so good. Oh my God. I've seen the, the, the commercials for it and it looks really fun. Can I tell you that every time we would see the trailer, like this was my most anticipated movie oh, too, I of, like, <laughs> of like early summer. I was like, cannot wait for Breaking In, yep. Breaking In because... I knew it was coming out Mother's Day, and that's the only reason why I knew what Mother's Day was this year. <laughs> I'm like, breaking in, it's coming out, we're gonna be there opening weekend, I'm so excited to support this movie, it was literally everything I hoped it would be. Oh, good, 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 good. So, I wonder, high recommend. Do you know how it did? Did it do well? I actually have no idea, but I didn't see it show up, like, when I was looking for times of other movies, okay. like, last week I didn't see it anywhere, oh, so I okay. think it might already be gone but it was really well made it was filmed there was some interesting like shots and filming choices um she was fantastic yeah the story wasn't stupid it wasn't rote it wasn't predictable it was a lot of fun and it was tense when it was supposed to be tense i think it was a pg-13 so there was a little like they were kind of pulling back a little bit Mm -hmm. i think I don't remember it being particularly gory and like the, the bad guy didn't really swear i don't think but I loved it. So you have to watch it when it's I available. totally will. And I always like Gabrielle Union, and I feel like she's one of those actresses that never has gotten the part she deserves. Because mm-hmm. she's also, like, I've read a lot of her, like, she does a lot of writing. She, you know, is pretty active, I think, out there. And she's clearly a really interesting, smart person. And I, like, want her to be more famous. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah. I completely agree. And that's why I was so jazzed. For her beating people up movie. Nice, nice. Oh, yeah. When that hits, uh, like, streaming, we should cover it. So good. Right. So, yeah. Saw that. Um, I think that's the only time I went to the movies, which is shocking. Um, so, 
finally watched Peter Rabbit, which was a movie I wanted to go to the theaters for, but I'm kind of glad I didn't. I was going to say, I feel like everybody hated it. It's Look, it's no Paddington, but what is? Well, I, mean, I, think, I think that movie set the bar so high okay. that it's tough to reach it. There were some really cute things about Peter Rabbit, and I like that one guy. Um, Dom Hal Gleason. Oh, Gleason. Yeah, that, that guy. Uh, Dude. And Rose Byrne is the lady in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like her. So, like, the human cast is amazing, and they're both great and fun in it, but it's very, it's very... I, don't, like, I think everything you know I read about, like, I, I didn't really read anything, but I just read headlines about it that seemed to basically the theme of every think piece about it was that Peter Rabbit was actually a dick. He, so I don't know if he was, if it was the, written as a dick or if it's because of that dude is kind of not funny okay. and kind of a dick. Um, he, it's Gordon. that one guy. James yeah, Gordon, him. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. So it's like whenever Peter wasn't on screen, it was great. Okay. And even Zach said that. He disliked it a lot more than I did. But he was even like, man, this movie really, it's pretty funny when he's not around. Huh? And <laughs> they can like, take yeah. the title character out and edit the movie around him. It's a shame. But like it, while Paddington is definitely like a family movie, mm-hmm. I would say, this is a kid's movie. Uh, and I know that's a weird distinction to make. Oh, no, it's but, not. Yeah, I got it. I mean, think of the difference <laughs> between Pixar and like lesser dreamworks basically yeah no. yeah so i mean uh, i don't know if i had a kid that wanted to watch it over and over again it, that would be fine but like eh, it wasn't great gotcha um oh i saw deadpool 2 so i did go to the theaters again what did you think not as good as deadpool 1 mm-hmm. um did you lo- did you watch and enjoy deadpool <laughs> okay here's a really funny story so um when deadpool was coming out in the theaters at I had no interest whatsoever. I just, I didn't like, I didn't care. And then I thought the trailers were kind of like looked bad and looked kind of offensive. Um, And I would have sworn my life on the remembrance that Brannon went to see it in the theaters and really liked it and came home and told me that. And then that months later, I watched it on HBO Go. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I said to my husband last week, oh, are you going to go see Deadpool 2? And he said, no, why would I go see Deadpool 2? And I said, because you really like Deadpool. And he said, I never saw Deadpool. And I say, no, you did. You went to the theater and saw it, and you really enjoyed it, and you surprised me because I didn't think you would. And he looked at me and just shook his head, and he said, no, you watch Deadpool by yourself at home on HBO. Um, and so I realized uh, eventually <laughs> that it was either, I don't know, it, it was either my memory of Jason or you seeing Deadpool and surprising me by how much you liked it. I really liked it. I like Deadpool. So when I finally watched it on HBO, because I thought it was you or Jason that saw it, um, I did find it. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really funny and, and great. Um, but I have no desire to see the sequel. So Yeah. So the things that I really liked about the first, I won't spoil it because it's still kind of fresh and like mm. there is a spoiler in it. Um, I, the things I liked about the first one, it's almost like they went out of their way to not do or take away from me, Ooh, okay. which which was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there was enough in it for me to say like, all right, it Good was time. it was it was fine. Okay. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I don't think you can capture that like really interesting yeah. dynamic of the first one again. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so I've always wanted to see the Kate Beckinsale movie Whiteout, 
words I never thought I'd say. If you really want to see the Kate Beckinsale movie. You know, those um, are words I expected you to say one day. One day. Well, I mean, she was in Disappointments Room, and I was really excited for that. But like, And then were you disappointed? A little bit. Yeah. But it's not Kate's fault. She's real flat as an actress. You know, I think she's... I'm trying to think. I feel like I've seen her in one thing where I'm like... Oh, she's actually way better than I thought. And I know she did that British movie that everybody said. Oh, yeah, the one that everybody likes. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime now, and I keep meaning to watch it, where I've seen people say, like, oh, no, she has the ability to be really charming on screen, but she just isn't always. So I'm mixed on her. I feel like there's something there, but that she can't always pull it out herself. I, think. I just want to like her so much. Yeah. I just always want to like her, and then I feel like, meh. But Whiteout is based on a comic that is written by one of my favorite uh, writers of all time. So I was super excited to finally sit and watch this movie. And it is not good. Ah. Which I don't know why I was so surprised, but I was like <laughs> genuinely upset. Oh. Um, Incredibles 2 is coming out soon. It is. And I thought, you know what? I should probably watch The Incredibles. Have you not seen it before? I had never seen it. I only watched it for the first time last year, and I really loved oh, it. Oh, interesting. It's, it's uh, way more violent than... It really is. Right? I was like... It's super violent. I think it's rated PG, and it's one of the very... Yeah. It was one of the first, like, clear children's animated Disney films to be PG. I was very surprised. Yeah. I did not like it as much. <gasps> oh. I mean, I thought I would really like it, and I was just kind of like, meh. It was more interesting when it was about the mom and not the dad. The, and the mom is about... the best, and Holly Hunter is so good. Yeah. Uh, it was about the mom, I was like, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. But like that lead-in at the beginning, I was like, all right, when is this movie going to start? Mm. But I don't know. It didn't make me cry forever, so I guess I was just lukewarm. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. And I did cry watching that. I mean, it is it is sweet. I like yeah. the baby. I don't know, but I definitely um, Zach likes the animation in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a re- it's stylish. It's really really cool and stylish. So he was surprised that I had never seen it because he kept talking about going and seeing the second one, and he thought I was kidding about like, well, I have to watch the first one first. <laughs> and I was, and I said it again, and he was like, "You've really never seen it?" And I was like, "No." So we decided to watch it. Sure. So now I can see that second one. Okay. I think you're going to see a theme in these next couple. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, Bring it. I watched The Equalizer, starring Denzel Washington. Okay. It's like where he goes and kills yeah, people. And he equalizes things? He equalizes things. Okay. I then watched Ricochet, starring Denzel Washington. <laughs> we were, because you watched Inside Man the last time we talked. I, did. I suddenly realized how much I love Denzel. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he went to Fordham. He went to my college. I'll have you know. Did he really? Yeah. 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 I like him so much. So we decided to just start going through his filmography. Um, have you what? ever seen Ricochet? John no, I have never. I've, I've not seen either. I feel like. This, this is an Emily movie. Ricochet is, is an Emily movie. Ooh. It's it's kind of batshit. And I think oh, that you would really kind. enjoy it. I'm writing that down. It was never something I thought to check out. So adding it to my um, list. I wouldn't say that I like, oh, I liked it. But it it was weird, and I'll never forget watching it. Excellent, excellent. Um, Zach made me watch Virtuosity, which I had never oh, seen. Oh, Virtuosity. It's been a really long time since I've watched it. That is a movie that you can say, boy, the 1990s happened, huh? Yep. I was not a fan. It was painful to get through. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, watch- it's bad, and it's kind of mean, so it's kind of like an ugly it, watch. There was, nothing, there was nothing redeeming in it for yeah, me. Yeah, I could see that. 
um, watched Pelican Brief, which <laughs> I had seen because this was my like John Grisham in air quotes was my favorite genre of movie. And for I a was while. about to say, you know, I've never seen Pelican Brief. I I am trying to think of aside from a Time to Kill if I've seen any other John Grisham movies. But I just I have liked, not really seen them. I liked that style of movie, sure. and not just not just John Grisham ones, but I mean things that were in that vein, right, like that, I like, would legal, say legal, where you know everybody's dressed like Law and Order, but a little sexier, that kind of thing. Yep, like Double Jeopardy, I would say is probably. Well, I know in that that's one of your favorites. Yeah, um, Pelican Brief is actually actually holds up pretty well. Okay, um, he's really good in it. It's actually interesting. A couple times, like we were genuinely intrigued. Like I didn't remember the twists and oh, turns, and gotcha. Zach was like, "Wait, that guy's involved?" And I was <laughs> like, "Like we actually enjoyed it." So I yeah, mean, it good. still stands up. Lots of lots of '90s fashions. Nice. Um, then my favorite of all that Zach had never seen, we watched Fallen. See, Fallen, Fallen is my favorite. Here's fucking the thing about movie. Fallen: when you watched Fallen, had you seen Shocker or no? I still haven't seen Shocker. Well, you don't need to. I mean, Shocker isn't good, but the problem I had with Fallen as like a teenager or so when it came out was ever like I, I when I finally watched it, I was like, this is just Shocker, but with better actors. <laughs> I think you've actually said that before. Yeah, I find it very hard to, to separate the two because it just feels... Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of movies like that where you're like, you know, the movie's good, but you have to understand it, it... Even if, you know, it's the old, like, people complaining about the Hunger Games ripping off Battle Royale, which, I mean, no, there's a lot of other things like that. But yeah. it's hard to shake that if you're so um deep into let's say battle royale and for me like i watch shocker a lot as a kid for some stupid reason so fallen just always feels like it falls short of shocker even though it's a much better movie yeah i i had a completely different experience with it i think i caught it on like hbo or showtime when when i was young and i was like what is this most amazing movie yeah and the whole time because i had never seen it like i said the whole time he was like boy this sure is a set like a seven ripoff i think he called it and heavy seven influences and like i had what was seven i was all about fallen so i don't see anything like that <laughs> did to me this come is out, out before or i don't seven i don't know man but that's what he kept saying yeah, i think seven was 96 so if he's wrong i'm gladly telling him <laughs> but it changes everything in the power dynamic of your marriage so i don't see that though i don't care and I don't see like anything derivative because that was the thing that I saw. Sure. That was maybe one of the first adultish movies I found by myself that I liked. And so I have this really passionate relationship with it. Well, is that similar to your relationship with The Bone Collector? Not really because The Bone Collector is not actually good. <laughs> yes. You are and correct. I don't understand why it took me this many years to be like, you know what? I think I like Denzel Washington. You know, I, I, we talked about it a little bit last time, but I think he's one of those actors who is so good that he's easy to take for granted. A hundred percent. Like, I think also the, the projects he ends up doing on surface level don't seem appealing. I know to me and often probably to you. Yeah. Like you look at a trailer for any, any of the movies you named, maybe aside from Fallen because it's so genre, but all the other ones you look, you, if you watched a trailer for that, I don't think anything in a trailer would make me think, oh yeah, I want to watch that. But then yeah, you watch it and so you realize true. how good he is. He's so good. So yeah, uh, we went on a bit of a tear, a Denzel nice. tear. Very nice. Um, two more. 
we finally saw a wrinkle in time oh, um how was it I, I wanted to see that one in the theater as well yeah. but we didn't we just didn't work out um zach hated it wow like fiery passion hated mm-hmm. it like very rarely are we on two different pages oh. i have been maybe a little bit um sensitively <laughs> lately Fair. so i liked it um i don't do i think it was great no i think it was a like a lesser labyrinth or never-ending story okay. that being said i still like wept through parts of it nice and he thought it looked cheap. I thought it looked pretty. Hmm. He thought they changed outfits too much. I thought everybody looked pretty. And there's like, no such thing as changing outfits too much in a fantasy movie. So I never want to do that gender-specific shit, but I really feel like yeah. me me having a vagina sure. helped in this case. Like, lady me liked it more than man him. And I think it really did come down to, a, like, aesthetics like I liked it. It was about like a girl mm-hmm. coming into her own and yeah. like, like doubting herself and then believing in herself. And he thinks that that shit's kind of hokey to begin with. And then it, he see, he doesn't like gender pandering, and he felt like it was like that. Like believe in yourself, girl power. But you know what? Sometimes I need to be told to believe in myself. Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm with you on that completely. I mean, that's why you know I always cite The Force Awakens as a movie that for me. Yes, you can, you can exactly tear it apart, thing. you can say it has some flaws, but you have no idea how powerful that movie was for me as a woman in my 30s to have that experience. Right, um, and this this yeah. is very similar. It's like, hey, little girl, the things that you think are yeah. wrong with you are actually your strengths. Right, right. You know what? Nobody told us that growing up. <laughs> no, so not particularly. It's, it's really nice to hear, and I don't want to insinuate that only women have vaginas, or only, but, yeah, there are women that don't have vaginas, yeah, so fair, I'm sorry fair. I said that. <laughs> Just, uh, we're doing our best, people. We're doing our best. Look, I just, I just, I was speaking about my my own vagina, not the, the world's vagina. I, I was trying, I was trying to um, help a coworker understand gender language and to not be, you know, to not make it have it anger him because what is it? How does it affect you? So I feel like I've been doing my part this week. I've been working hard, people. We can only do so much. We can try with we can uh, try. Winkle in Time. So I didn't, I didn't see it in the theaters. I didn't. Ha- it was kind of like if it had come out at like a really. Um, a time in my my month when I had a lot of time in my hands, I might have just said, "Fuck it, I'm giving it my money," uh, because a I love Ava DuVernay, mm-hmm. and I was just rooting for it. As soon as I saw, oh, somebody finally gave a woman, a black woman at that, a hundred million dollars to make a movie that should be a franchise movie. Fuck, that was exciting. Uh, and I actually I taught and I read the book not as a kid. I taught it when I lived in Korea. And so I had a little bit of history with the book and thought, like, yeah, that'll be an interesting, that could be a really cool franchise because it's about, you know, science, mm-hmm. essentially, which is kind of Yeah, uh, I would be really interested to hear what you think. Then. Yeah, when, when it when it becomes available, I'm definitely going to give it a watch. Yeah, um, so I don't know if I'll ever rewatch it, but I feel like it was exactly what I needed when good, I did watch good. it. Excellent. Um, and then the last one is How to Talk to Girls at Parties. I don't know what this is. John Cameron Mitchell, I believe, oh, is his name. Oh, okay. You'll, you'll, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, because he did Hedwig. So yes, you'll that's tell John me. Cameron Mitchell, yeah. Yep. Um, it is a movie that he has done. It is based on a Neil Gaiman short story, hmm. which, really, I was out at that point. <laughs> but um, I came back in. Um, 
We watched it. I found a lot of interesting redeeming things about it. The person I watched it with didn't like it so much. Mm. But um, I thought it was interesting. It was visually really interesting. I guess it was a bit goofy, but I think it was kind of supposed to be a bit... I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but like... It was supposed to be like that. Like mm-hmm. it, didn't, it didn't take itself seriously, but yet yeah, it did. But it, I thought it struck a good balance. I don't know. Um, Elle Fanning is in it. Okay. And Nicole Kidman is in it. Oh, okay. Um, it's. I thought it was. I thought it was fun and well acted, and another another very pretty movie with a nice message that I enjoyed. Um, I thought Elle Fanning was great. I think she makes interesting choices. She does. Um, she's from that wave of young, uh, ghostly blonde actresses who pick really interesting projects, yeah. <laughs> like Mia Wasikowska and a couple of others. Yeah. I, I, so if when when that comes around, um, I will look might, out for it. Might want to take a look. Okay. And that's it for me. All right, my list is pretty small as well. Um, let's see what I got here. So. Decided because it was just easier to finally watch it and get stop confusing me on my queue. I watched the other Ravenous. I believe you watched this a while back. Oh the yes, French Canadian one. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I I liked it. Um, I look. I always say I appreciate any zombie movie that is doing something different with the idea of zombies. But I did feel like I didn't understand what it was doing with this idea. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get it. I guess is what it comes down to. Did you get it? Like, did... um, I think I might have said halfway through, and I I think everyone's picking up on the theme now. The majority of films I watch, I watch with Zach. Um, he he liked this one a lot more than me. Mm-hmm. He kind of sold me a little bit because he he likened it to like a Vietnam movie. Okay, and in that context. I did enjoy it, like, once that was kind of brought into Mm -hmm, play. Um, There was some visuals in it that I found very, like, like, made me feel emotions, and I couldn't... I couldn't really explain why. I felt very affected by it. I would um, agree with that. I, I mean, and the characters were great. I was yeah. I was really invested in most of the characters. So when you would have a moment where a character would kind of cut in a weird way to character, you know, and you realize, oh, they were bit or something. Yeah. It was, you're right, it got, that got me. Like, I'd have my, like, oh, I'd have a moment. And that doesn't happen all the time now no, because no, we by know no the formula yeah. so much. And if I, if you're asking me to sit here and explain to you like what happened and yeah. what it was necessarily about or why they were building these huge mountains of, of stuff, chairs, yeah, I I can't tell you that. Yeah. But I just it creeped me out. It made me think about things and mm-hmm. feel different things. So yeah. I'll I read take it. somewhere where apparently somebody said there like there's a bit of an analogy to Canadian politics in there. Ooh, so if any Canadian listeners would like to explain that to me, I'd appreciate it because I we know yeah. so many Canadians. I know, yeah. So I mean, like Vishnu, like people out there, Scott, come on, somebody explain to me what Ravenous is saying about Quebec. Uh, on Amazon Prime, I watched a. Movie, um, uh, that it's like I had a good premise, and it starred Charlto, Charlto Copley. Is that how I say his name? From Free Fire sounds, in District 9. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw his name. I'm like, oh, I'll, he's one of those actors I'll kind of watch do anything. So it's called Open Grave. I guess it was from 2013, 
That sounds familiar. This is a movie that so should have come out in 2008, as we're talking about movies that came out in the Mm -hmm. earlier part of of this century. Uh, So Charlotte Copley wakes up in a grave, like in this like giant mass grave of dead bodies. He climbs out and finds these other people. And it turns out like all of them can't remember anything, but they're all connected. Uh, so it's kind of, I mean, Oh, I've I, seen this. Have you? Did you like yeah. it? I, do you remember I, anything? Like, so I, I kind of remember yeah. it, but I was distracted watching it because the whole time I'm like, this feels like it, the script was written in like 2005 when every single direct to DVD movie was some form of saw. And not even it being torture porny, but just like, oh, a whole bunch of random people wake up in a room and it's because they all were responsible for the death of somebody. And like, that's what it felt like. And it was weird because it's it's well it's well acted. Like there's a, a couple of faces that you'd recognize or people who've gone on to things. The um, the woman from Dream Home, that amazing Hong Kong movie is in it. Mm-hmm. And it's. Like, it's shot really nicely. There's some good scenes of violence. It's kind of a zombie thing. But the the reveal or the ending or the twist is so complicated. And it's like a movie that decided oh, yeah. okay. after creating itself that it wanted to be a mystery. So then it just, it's like, the the I, I didn't understand anything until the final thing of the movie. Somebody is reading a letter and explains everything. And so it was just one of those movies that was, like, daring me to not be involved in it. And it was very yeah. frustrating. So I found it... I don't know, like, it, it wasn't a badly made movie, but I found it really, really unsatisfying, I guess is, mm-hmm. is the better word. Um, a movie that surprised me by being fairly satisfying. On Netflix Instant, there was a recommendation that kept coming up called Bad Match. Okay, this doesn't sound promising. Oh, it doesn't, right? But it was actually good. So it's about a dude, a t- like a really white millennial hipster dude, okay. who dates via Tinder and just constantly is, you know, um, will meet a girl in a bar via Tinder or a Tinder-like app. Uh, he has like the plays that like has the same lines. He uses it on every one. That usually has a one-night stand, and then he just you know does it again. Only Mm -hmm. he does it once, and it's with a girl who's kind of obsessed with it, becomes very obsessive. And it's the actress who was in Bone Tomahawk. And she's great. Okay, I think Lily Simmons is her name. Uh, And, you know, she doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, His life starts unraveling, if you will. And it was surprisingly good because I was like fascinated watching this movie because I realized that like from the beginning, I'm like, oh God, this guy is a douche. And I find it typically really hard to watch a movie with a guy like this as my protagonist. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point I realized, oh no, the movie kind of knows that he's what. Like the movie doesn't, isn't, isn't expecting me to fall in line with him. The movie is kind of asking me and expecting me to question him and do this. And it's kind of doing that thing where it's, oh, how much do I dislike him? Do I, do I wish these things upon him or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you cross another line where you're like, oh, no, he really, now he's crossing a line. And it has a good ending. I won't reveal anything, but the ending is, you see it coming a little bit too early, I think. But as it's happening, you start to see like, oh, this is like almost a Black Mirror Twilight Zone episode in, in its own way. Not in that there's anything supernatural, but just in terms of how it's sort of 
satirizing, if you will, uh, this kind of person in this day and age. So I I don't want to be overpraising this movie. It's it's very it's well made, uh, but it was way. It was actually a good film, and I was not expecting a good film when I watched a movie called Bad Match. So is this a recommend? It is. Yeah. No, I would... Um, yeah, it's a recommend. Okay. Yeah. I mean, don't expect it to be like Lake Mungo, but... No, it's, but like... It's I, good. I, I, go I think past, you might get something out of it. I go past most of those types of movies because yeah. it's such... It's so hit or miss. It's such a crapshoot. Yeah, and this... If, from, if you looked at the... Um, cover art if you read a synopsis i mean i thought this was going to be a so bad it's fun to laugh at movie mm-hmm. but it was actually i don't know I, I think it was kind of relevant and interesting and i think um the lead actor is kind of a cipher but then you realize well he should be and i think he's actually doing what he's supposed to be with the part and um and lily simmons i think is one of those actresses that i'm i like really enjoy seeing in things because i think she brings more than she than other actresses would to certain parts so mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm kind of giving it a recommend all right well yeah. if i see it go by i'll probably go oh emily liked that and zach will go you know <laughs> oh. that's questionable <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds about right <laughs> okay also on netflix or amazon i think netflix but i might be wrong um bachelorette with Kirsten Dunst and Rebel Wilson and Lizzie Kaplan and is okay. Not... I think I know what this is. Yeah, really good cast. Uh, James Marsden's in it. Uh, a few other people. So um, Kirsten Dunst is uh, plays a. She's great in it. Kirsten Dunst needs to play a cunt more often. I like when she's she's not nice. and I think this is a movie I think you would like. Uh, a lot of people will not like it. It's so Kirsten Dunst is this thirty something, like you know, young thirty something, um, kind of uh, former mean girl. I mean, still mean girl kind of thing. And her quote unquote best friend is Rebel Wilson, who is who announces she's getting married before all of her other really hot friends. And um, Kirsten Dunst and Lizzie Kaplan and Isla Fisher are then bridesmaids. And so it's kind of a one crazy night thing. It's the night mm-hmm. before the wedding and they are very bitter and end up doing bad things to the dress and then kind of have to run around the city figuring out a way to fix it. Uh, it's, it's What's interesting about this movie is that it's really, it's a black comedy. I would call it, put it in that black comedy realm. And it's mean, but it doesn't cross a line And I kind of couldn't decide by the end of it if I wanted it to cross that line or not, because it it, it's very cringeworthy at times. And I it's one of those cases where, like what we said, I think about the witch, like where I if it had had a unhappy ending or if I'd been meaner, it might have been a better movie, but it would have been really, really unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. Uh, it's a again, it's a I'm recommend, to, but I'm I feel like you find might hate this it. movie. It, I don't. You'd be surprised how hard it is to find the Bachelorette movie I think when on you're look Netflix. I think I have a memory. Oh, of is it. that Isla to Fisher too? Did you say yes. her name? Yeah, yeah. I never know how to say her name. I think it's Isla, but yes, her. And, yeah, I love uh, all the people in it. Yeah, what's his name? Adam Scott's in it. Uh, oh, again, Adam Scott. Really good, really good cast, and everybody's is. is 
interesting because really when I think about it, everybody's kind of playing against type to, to an extent. Like Lizzie Kaplan isn't, but Adam Scott's kind of playing an asshole. James Marsden is playing a total asshole. And I always like to see him play a total, you know, good guy. Uh, and Rebel Wilson's actually playing like a really like pleasant kind of soft-spoken. So ev- everybody is kind of against type one way or another. But mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst is really good in this. Uh, I, I forget sometimes that she is a really talented actor when she's given the right role. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's again, it's one of those, it's a recommend, like, I'm glad I watched it. Less so because it was enjoyable and more so because it was kind of interesting to see a lot of these actors do some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to hate it if they've, and some might, might, we've already seen it, but I think it's worth a try. It's got a 5.3 on IMDb. That doesn't surprise me at all. I think it's also a movie that it, the I believe the writer director is female, and it's a very female movie. And I say mm-hmm. that in the sense that like, if a man had made this movie, I I wouldn't believe a man had because it does go pretty deep into the like. There, there's a kind of a running um, not plot point, but kind of thing that keeps coming up is. All, all these girls were friends in high school and of kind of varying social cast and how they met was basically Kirsten uh, Dunst used to throw up in the bathroom. Uh, so there's, and the way the characters talk about bulimia, for example, is something that, like, you know, most women know somebody who was bulimic at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a certain way a lot of women, I think, talk about that and went through that. And, you know, this movie understands that. Like this movie, like without question, watching this movie, I knew it was written and directed by a woman, uh, and I say that as a compliment because it's one of those cases where I feel like, oh yeah, I, I'm hearing this. This wasn't my experience, but I'm totally, I believe these experiences, and I mm-hmm. went through it with people that went through it, kind of thing. And that in itself makes it worthwhile. You still might not like it because it is a black comedy, which can often be very polarizing, but. Definitely worth a try, I'd say. All right. Well, I will. I would watch this. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, good, good. Could even be interesting to cover at some point. I thought about that, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, just two more. Well, one was kind of a pair of comedy specials on Netflix: uh, Ali Wong's Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very funny. Uh, she does her stand-up like seven months pregnant and goes pretty deep into stuff, and she's very funny. So if you're looking for a good hour of comedy. Give it a go. Uh, and then the last thing was a, something I recorded off of TCM a while back. Mario Bava's last film, Shock. Mm-hmm. With, uh, what's her name? Daria Nicol- Nicolodi. Dario Argento's ex-wife. She was in a lot of Dario Argento's movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have never this? seen this. It's, it's pretty good. Um... I would say it it's too long, which is true to me of a lot of giallo. Uh, it, I don't know, it's not great. It's not top shelf, it's not top tier, but it's, because it's very focused. Like, it's a really yeah. small film. It's really just about her, her husband, her son, and that's kind of it. 
and she's great and it's like one of those cases where you're happy to see her get a really meaty role to play mm-hmm. um and it has a pretty crazy ending it the ending goes on for about 45 minutes which is kind of a bummer but the final final shot and reveal is is actually pretty rewarding so i don't know it's like a mild like yeah if you're a completist you should watch it it's better than a lot of other italian horror of that era but it's i don't think it's top shelf mm-hmm I'm not a huge Giallo fan, so... Yeah, no, I'm... Will, uh, no, no, I, I am... I won't say I'm not. I, I am not in that I'm not an excited, like, oh, it's Giallo, I'm going to watch it. Uh, but there's some some that are good that I can... Uh, For watch. sure. I definitely am not in a position where I will go and seek them out. Right. Right. Like, I won't be like, you know what I'm in the mood for, but... Yeah, I, I tend to... Um, find people that love giallo really love giallo and then can't always talk to you about it when you start pointing out things you don't love about it Mm -hmm. so i tend to often avoid talking about them yeah Uh, but yeah all right so that's uh that's my list not a bad list you know decent decent what can i say so we're gonna take a quick break and what you think in chronological start with uh the crow yeah sure (laughs) all right so we need um a few minutes to find that random face makeup that we keep on our vanity sets and uh squeeze ourselves into our leather jumpsuits and high-waisted leather pants high-waisted leather pants combat boots and then we'll start crowing we'll be back You and I were 12 years old. We were. Uh, we were, you know, 6th grade, 7th grade, I guess, somewhere around there. And The Crow comes out in theaters and makes quite an impression on yeah, uh, the teenagers so. of America. It Did it miss you? It totally missed me and, and yep. my friends. And maybe it's because we were a little bit younger than ultimately the... I think the audience that latched onto this was probably like 15, 16, uh, slightly older, I guess, than us. But def- but I mean, this was a big movie in the 90s. Yep. Um, I saw it for the first time, I don't know, let's say within the last five years. Okay. Maybe maybe a little bit earlier than that, but definitely in, in like... In, in the 30-ish area. Um, um, so it even missed me in my 20s. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I get all the references. I know that that's what Sting was dressed like. I yep. I saw City of Angels in the theater. So, <laughs> I mean, it missed me, but it didn't miss me because sure. I saw that in the theater. I had that soundtrack. I know a lot of the songs on this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so like I was, I was aware it was around me. I got the aesthetic. I like I yeah. knew the thing. I knew it was. Based I shopped on at Hot it. Topic. Like hello, I am a goth girl, but like never saw it. And I think it has to be, it has to be the age to some degree. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me when I think about it because my I'm trying to remember at which age I had so man okay being the 90s the what year was the craft the craft was 94 96 oh I don't know do you want me to I'll, look? T- I'll tell you in two seconds the craft was 96 oh. okay this well, kind of makes more sense me. now because the craft was totally like obsession with and my friends were obsessed with yeah and but that was two years later and we were 14 so when we were 12 it's so funny in like some cases that like micro generation thing mm-hmm. where it really did make a difference because when I was 12 I and my, my friends were 12 we were you know I don't know whatever social cast we were but when we were 13 14 my friends decided we they didn't call themselves goths my friends were in goths they were at least I don't know if this was a regional thing or an era thing my friend said so I think for eighth grade I want to be a freak Ooh, yeah, we did use that terminology. Yeah. So I like I kind of was was anyway. I'm like, well, I'm I wear mismatched shoes because I'm cool. Guys, I was so cool in the nineties. <laughs> but my friends were totally like, no, we're gonna st- we're gonna um go to the mall and buy nine inch nail shirts. And uh, one of my friends bought like a t shirt that had was the tool only. I think like the the shirt actually was a dude like sucking his own cock and she couldn't wear it to school but could she because did anybody know what it meant kind of thing so yeah my friends were kind of awful oh and very, you know all of that and oh. meanwhile like well what's really funny was like i still played like softball and was a nerd so yeah. uh like i bridged those worlds and everything but by 96 we weren't talking about the crow we were talking about the craft so mm-hmm. it just really did as as i said fly over my experience at that age uh so this was my first time watching it very exciting yeah it was it was very exciting to end it was exciting and then there is the other part that we have to talk about which is absolutely tragic and horrifying yeah um which is and most people deeply and, upsetting you know, very deeply and it's it is upsetting um, because it is also not easy to not see on screen, which is that Brandon Lee died in a horrific accidental prop mishap on the set of The Crow. And it shit happens. I mean, we know, you know, think of Twilight Zone, the movie, which is another movie I have a hard time watching where, you know, there is a helicopter yeah. accident that that takes out a few actors but the difference, too, is the end product, if memory serves in the Twilight Zone, the movie, I don't think you ever see the helicopter. Like, I think they kind of reshot things and you're not seeing it there. The Crow is so much gun violence in this movie. Mm-hmm. And while the scene that ultimately, you know, re- uh, resulted in the death of Brandon Lee, I think that scene itself is not in the film. There's other scenes of, A, lots of gun violence, but also... You know, the actor who ultimately held the gun mm-hmm. that killed that killed Brandon Lee, there are scenes where he shoots Brandon Lee. And it's really... And I have no relationship to Brandon Lee whatsoever. This is the only film I've ever seen him in, I think. But it's really sad and hard to watch as a result. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, to, to an extent, I can... Because I, I don't remember when it happened... 
because I was 12 and because yeah. I don't think I ever saw Brandon Lee in anything mm-hmm. else, I can kind of separate it. And sure. I know that that happened to Brandon Lee, but this is the, this is Eric Draven. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I know I'm not trying to like cheapen it or like lessen what Whoa. happened, okay. but like, I don't know. It just was. You're able to separate it a little. Yeah, easier. like good, I know good. a tragic thing happened yeah, yeah. to a human person, but in this movie, it's just a character. Sure. So, like, it wasn't. I guess I'm. What I'm just saying is, it wasn't ever present for me. Like, it gotcha. wasn't hanging over well, me. That's good. Um, I'm sorry that I gasped just now, but <laughs> Christine, I'm not always that smart. When you, I it took for you to say Eric Draven for me to realize. Oh, Raven. Yeah. Yeah, I just got that now. <laughs> I I I'm not always and what's impressive is like we talk about how like oh it's Friday night so we're both like not on our full like mental game no but Friday night after a night where I didn't sleep that well this is where I actually realized this so mm. my mind's actually working better tonight than it well, was good for the last two days when I watched this movie <laughs> anyway, uh, we didn't synopsize I'm sure everybody knows what this movie's about but uh but I would be remiss if I denied our listeners the chance to hear you give a synopsis of it. Okay. So what happens in this movie is um, they want to clear this building and this lady is like, look, I'm going to start a petition or whatever and you're not going to kick us out of this building and because they're like, this lady's starting trouble, they set this... uh, some people get sent. Apparently, you're not supposed to know who did it, even though it's clear who was involved. <laughs> but some people, only one other character, basically. Some people get sent to um, this really awesome apartment to right? like say, it's "Get a the very fuck Mulan out of here." Very apartment. It's really great. Say, so "Get the fuck out of here!" And I wouldn't want to leave either because it was great. Yeah, right. Um, and the lady is like, "Hell no!" And she ends up getting beaten and raped. And apparently, they were just trying to like scare him out until. Eric shows up and it makes things worse or whatever. So they have to kill him and then she dies. It's it's a mess, you guys. <laughs> Anyways, a crow is like, hey, I want this guy to come back. So this crow... Because his name was, happens to sound like my cousin. That's the only reason why. So this crow was like, come on back and um, avenge your fiance. They were supposed to get married the next night, which makes it even sadder. Um, and they were super goth too, because they were going to get married on Halloween. Which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. And also this takes place in a city where it rains all the time. <laughs> and it's also like an indescript city. Like who knows oh, yeah. what city this is. It's really bad though. It's a very, wouldn't you call it a dark city? It's a very dark city. Yeah, see what I did there. <laughs> um, and so Eric becomes the crow and he's like, like dead but not and he is invincible yep. and his his bullet wounds heal and then he avenges the death of his fiance and he kills all these people and then he gets in this fight with Byling and Byling's boyfriend and and then, half brother and bro- boyfriend and that's true um and Ernie Hudson's also there and this little girl who actually you know she was my favorite part of the movie I liked her yeah well well not <laughs> mine because Ernie Hudson's in this movie come on well Ernie Hudson's great I guess them. Like oh, his yeah. ragtag group of of miscreants, which would be Ernie Hudson and that adorable little girl. <laughs> like I was in it for that. Yeah. Um, and then he does the killing, and there's fights, and then he gets to go. Spoiler: 
he gets to go be with his uh, deceased fiance, and then that's it. Until and then they make nine sequels, four other ones. Um, yeah, this movie is a movie that I think most people have seen or at least know something about. So I don't think there's much in the way of spoiling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even me having not seen it. Uh, it wasn't even that there was any plot points to be spoiled. It's just so straightforward. There's no yeah. surprise in anything you're watching. The biggest surprise for me was like little weird things like finding out um, cousin from Robin Hood is also Byling's half-brother. Okay, that's weird. Whatever. Yeah. I. It seems it's unnecessary. So I've never read these comics mm-hmm. um i did watch this movie with someone who had ah. so i got to hear about all of the differences <laughs> tell us about all the differences that you heard about from your partner well so apparently i mean and they make a big show of it because when eric gets shot like in the hand it we they show us that it's healing yes but i guess in the book he just doesn't heal he just has holes which oh. is why he tapes himself up uh, okay so it's kind it's of contradictory cool. and he he wouldn't stop talking about it that would make more sense if it, i was like got it got it got it so <laughs> it was stuff like that and like just like i don't think it happens like this or i don't think that guy did that or they're smashing a lot of things together stuff like that but so i mean i guess it's not really you know there's some movement from the original text but that's to be expected yeah the so the um i mean again i'm also i'm I'm not a comic person and i have no experience with them but they were so written by so james obar was the oh the artist and the writer i guess and he apparently like had a kind of crazy life and tragedy and was also deeply affected by every i mean the death of Brandon Lee, like, fucked up a lot of people, basically. And apparently, um, like, after this, like, with this movie, uh, one of the IMDb trivia bits is that he took his salary from it, which I think was pretty decent. He bought his mother a car and then just, like, donated the rest because he didn't want money from this after what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, it was a probably bittersweet isn't even quite the right word for this movie being a success because I think it probably messed up so many people to have been involved in it that it was near the end of filming when he died but somebody still then had to sit in an editing booth and put this all together Uh, the other thing that's interesting about the screenplay is that um, David Scow or Scow who uh, is, I guess he was the screenwriter on it. And I believe I have a bunch of nonfiction books by him. Um, he wrote um, some really interesting books about the horror genre and about like Halloween and all this stuff. So I've, I've always really liked his writing. Um, you know, I don't know how much of it you see on screen in The Crow because it's hard to tell because there's three credited writers. But mm-hmm. just an interesting kind of, you know, staff in that writing room. Um yeah, so I, I didn't. I kind of knew what to expect watching it, uh, and I liked. I, 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 all I can really boil it down to is like, I liked watching it. It was interesting. Yeah. Because uh, there were things I didn't know. I had no idea Ernie Hudson was in it. So when he showed up, I was excited. And then when he, when he ends up being the heart of the movie, I was really excited. He's, he's in it a lot, which yeah. is which is good. He doesn't just show up no. at the beginning and then kind of disappear. He he is in it th- consistently. 
and it's an and I don't know if his character is heavy in the comics. Uh, do you know offhand? I I do not know. Okay, because no. it just feels when you watch it and you I think sitting back now as I think about it, I wonder how the screen time is divided uh, between him and even the kid and Eric because it's and I feel like today if you made this you could give Brandon Lee a lot more screen time basically mm-hmm. uh, because you you see a, some of it through his eyes you see some of it through Ernie Hudson's eyes basically mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that mix I feel like it maybe would have made more sense if it was more um, if either you kind of leaned all in with your crow or if you did it more as the like what's like the um like batman from lieutenant gordon's eyes basically yeah uh where you don't know the mystery but you're seeing it from this person who's also really really sympathetic and i part of what i think is both like interesting and i don't know if it's what works for works against the movie is the way it it deals with the mystery if you will yeah because it kind of just says oh hey i don't know crows maybe brought this guy back and now he's back oh apparently in the book and all of this could be wrong everyone you don't need to correct me on it because <laughs> this is like seventh hand but apparently in the book it, it's more played for like is he back from the dead like it's not so explicit okay. or is he just crazy or whatever um i guess that is how it is in the comic but again who am i and what here do I know? like i'm trying to think if i almost wish maybe and this is also probably very much because of its time. I wish it took one level up of fantasy. where mm-hmm. And not to say, like, that I want it to be Sin City, where everything is, hype. Not what is that, like, hyper-realism or, or super-surrealism, where a villain isn't just a bad guy, he's literally a different color than everybody else. Yeah, he's a monster, yeah. for sure. I almost wish this movie did that a little bit more and I really think it's it, and I with especially with it being Alex Proyas I bet if it was five years later he would have done that uh, I think at this 94 is still not a time when you were taking giant risks this is still a risk because it's really not like anything else coming mm-hmm. out I mean basically I, I think you saw I posted that AV Club article yep. that said basically this is Death Wish uh, with costumes by Hot Topic and so, yeah, the story is as straightforward as it comes, but the style is really different for the time. Watching it today, I wish it pushed a little bit further in the fantasy. See, I stuff going. I'm I want it to be opposite camp. Really? That's so funny. I wish it wasn't so goofy and, and huh. fantastical and wacky, and I wish this dude wasn't wearing, like, like tight pants and have a sword and have Lestat hair. Like it was just, (laughs) it was just too, it was too costumey and too goofy and too over the top to me, to 35 year old Christine right now. Hmm. If I had been, if I had been 14 or 15 when this came out, I probably would have been real into it. But now is just a person watching a film that has all these years of film watching in between when this movie <laughs> happened and now I just go like oh I wish I wish that or or pick a lane if I feel like it was gr- oddly grounded yeah. and weirdly fantastical or like over the top and it just it just didn't 
it didn't work. Like, I wish it was grittier and more violent. And I mean, this little girl's mom is a, is an addict who ignores her yeah. and lets her roam the streets. But but then it's like it's kind of goofy. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, tonally it's, it's very. I mean, this, those heroin scenes where he's squeezing her arm out are kind of right out of Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, like there's some intense stuff going on here. But then sometimes he's just. But then sometimes he's just goofy, like he's goofing around like a regular guy. I'm not saying that I didn't like that. I kind of did like that, mm-hmm. yeah. but it was really different from a lot of the other parts of this movie. Oh no, I I don't disagree. It's there's a tonal weirdness going on to be sure, yeah. and this had to be R, right? This oh, must it's have been rated be. Let me R. See. I would be I have shocked it. if it wasn't. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. It's- you know who when they made this i mean, i guess they they were probably pretty smart about saying this is a movie for teenagers but not always easy to do when you're making an r-rated movie but the fact that the soundtrack if nothing else is clearly so geared to um you know and this movie probably sold more soundtracks than it did tickets in a way and, and so that i guess that puts it in a weird place because you have you know strange little cutaways for example of when you first meet cousin from robin hood prince of thieves and his half-sister lover by ling they've (laughs) just like raped a woman to death i guess they raped her to death and then they cut out her eyeballs well i mean eyeballs don't come out that way eyeballs aren't round when you take them out but Bai Ling just so everybody pretty, knows. Like, I feel like when Bai Ling takes eyeballs out, she just does it differently. And I like Bai Ling. Like, uh, and I get like she's kind of weird in this. Oh, she's weird in everything, but she's she's weird in this movie. And but I don't know. Maybe it's just the the main bad guy that didn't work. For, you know what? A lot of it I think can be put down to that. I didn't like the main ba- main bad guy. So now the main bad guy, you don't know this because you have never seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but I keep referring to him as cousin from yes. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He um, also is involved in my favorite line in the movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is um, uh, cousin. Why? Because why? Alan Rickman threatens Robin Hood, I'm going to carve your heart out, with, heart out with a spoon. And he says, well, you know, why a spoon? Why not an axe? Because it's dull. You twitch. It'll hurt more. Anyway, so that's always been my experience with this actor is purely Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find what I know him from because I oh, Strange Days, probably. I know that oh, I yeah. know him from things. Look, his name's Michael Wincott, everybody. I'm sure you all know that. <laughs> he can get it. In this movie, I cannot deal with him. Is it the hair? Um, I believe on Dry Race they would refer to it as a thirsty ass wig. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is... He had that same hair in Robin Hood. He might have had long hair. I don't. Oh, um, I did not like his hair. I did not like his pants. I did not like his yeah. sword. Did not like most of what he did. The problem too. He's aging really well, everybody. I'm looking at some <laughs> pictures. I think. I'm thinking about it too, and like I liked his weird. Oh yeah, he's got because he's got like very sharp cheekbones, and they're looking good. I liked his. I don't know what that says about me. I liked his weird thing going <laughs> on with Biling. That worked for me. That was fine. Yeah, I I didn't mind them. I don't um, know if it was just. You know what it was? I think it was also just kind of weirdly. Him as a villain was weirdly paced. If that makes sense, because yes. you, you open this movie. I mean, this movie also is 
put together and I don't know also how much of this was they had to do a lot of dancing with editing because of reshoots and stuff but the movie opens very suddenly on dudes come in and rape and kill uh, Eric and girlfriend and then we immediately one year later we just keep moving along we don't meet Michael Wincott for a while we don't know he's involved in stuff until he kind of just says oh yeah I organize that because that's what I do we did know that we knew that I guess but because all those dudes worked for him yeah I guess of course he was involved why would we be seeing him if he wasn't involved no you're you're not wrong but I guess it just seemed no I get I get what you're saying though maybe if he was older and like grosser and was kind of like the kingpin. It would just would have made more sense, I think. But As opposed to this dude dudes, who could probably do this stuff himself better than his kind of army of clowns, basically. If these dudes were, were like, I don't know, I maybe, I had seen this before, so maybe I just knew, mm. and that's why it wasn't a surprise, but like, if the movie is hinging on the rape and murder of this woman, and then the murder and resurrection of this man, and then you start showing me this clearly evil person. Yeah. I don't think that it's his friend. <laughs> oh, it's his buddy, Michael Wincott. <laughs> yeah, they used to, you know, like, sh- like trade shampoo secrets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, no it's... It, th- there's a few things off in the movie, I think. There's just stuff that doesn't flow or click the way... in. You know, if I was mapping out my perfect version of this particular movie, it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm having a hard time, like, really figuring out what some of those things were. And some of it, I think, is the time. is just that it came out in an age where you could only push certain boundaries so far. And I think it would have been better if it pushed a little further. But what can you do? Um, and then other parts are, yeah, just odd little things, I guess. How did you like mm-hmm. the, the band of misfits, if you will? Oh my god, can we please talk about David Patrick Kelly? <laughs> I love David Patrick Kelly. He's pretty good. I would like to go on record, uh, not that this is any shocking to anybody. He might be my favorite, air quotes, character actor mm, of all time. I can see that. He is so fucking good. He is. And, like, at, there's points in this movie where he's on screen, and I was like, oh, I forgot there's acting happening. Like, <laughs> he was acting so hard. <laughs> it was so he good. He does not phone things in. He no, goes no, 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 yeah. Yeah. no. No, 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 no. And, I like, it's him. very much, like, his death is very much a warrior's reference and such. It's, it's, that in his death, and this is when I say, pick a lane, it's a little it's a little over the top it's very over the top and sometimes it's it's goofy and like even i think it's the character's name is tintin yeah tintin the the knife guy yeah his death was a little goofy too oh yes and if if that's what you're doing if you're doing like black comedy like weirdness i'm i'm 100 percent there for it but then sometimes it's not well especially when within that black comedy you know you have a character saying I raped your girlfriend so hard that, you know, uh, she wanted more or something where it gets like, yeah, like I, I have a hard time laughing because there's another part to this that's really, really dark. And it's not that you can't do both. You can do both. I think this movie is just a little confined by still being within a studio system to really do both in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's an early comic book movie. Oh, very much, yeah. Maybe yeah. there's just, 
uh, like the whole translating the tone sure. of this, which uh, what I understand is kind of like a a, a, a crazy comic into mm-hmm. a movie. Like I'm I'm not at all faulting this movie. The right. first time I watched it, I kind of hated it. I, can see I was that. like that was garbage <laughs> why do people like this movie watching it this time though i was i don't know why i was more forgiving i was just like huh i get it yeah i liked like byling had a, some some really cute outfits oh yes um eric's girlfriend i'm so sorry i don't know her name Shelly. they don't shelly they don't really want us to know her yeah name. they do that thing that i kind of <laughs> hate and i mean like punisher just did this and it was kind of a similar just thing you notice like the whole angelic dead wife thing mm-hmm. where all you ever see of her are like those moments of her shaking her beautiful hair wearing a sundress and just being in love with you and it's one of those very like male gazy things and it's to me, it's a, it's a very tired trope. And I'm and again, like, this movie does it. Hey, it did it before 25 things that came after it the next year. Uh, it's become a cliche. I, you know, and this one, like, does give her, you know, from what you hear, oh, no, she was, she was great. She took care of this little girl, and she was trying to clean up this neighborhood. But it's hard. It's I, I, the fact that, like, we don't remember her name is because we only see her as this fantasy of Eric and this perfect wife to be kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I'm over that. And so that's just, again, a personal preference of where... Because I, I, that, I'm, I won't even say, if you made this movie today, would have done the same exact thing. I guarantee they would have treated that character the same way. For sure. She had cute little crushed velvet dresses. Yep. And she seemed really cool. And I just wanted more than, like, like wistful flashes right, her being of this, that. like, hot Gen X pixie dream girl kind of thing. I would like to know this character. She was friends with this little girl and mm-hmm. took care of this little girl. And she had these cool outfits and they burned a lot of candles. Like, I'm into it. <laughs> Tell me more about her. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So it was kind of a bummer. But, yeah. like, th- there's there's things that I enjoyed in this movie, which uh, I was surprised. <laughs> the uh, I'm impressed by the cat's ability to survive. Uh, Fucking A. Right? How did that cat stay so clean? And then, like, the cat was fat, too. Like, the cat, like, was not... Like, right, the cat, like, chewing on, Sh- on Shelly's corpse or something? I don't know. That's mean. Um, so, even if you assume that it was going outside and getting, like, like garbage or eating rats or something, how, it, it was so rainy and so... This movie's so dirty. <laughs> how was that bright white cat well, so here, white? Okay, I, I guess maybe it's, like, symbolism. Well, and think about the fact that it's been a year and they still... <laughs> the apartment is still a crime scene. I know, that I know. Beautiful, that beautiful, like, you know... That time didn't really track for me. No, it like, did not. It was... They made it explicit that it was a year ago. Yep. I got that it was a year ago. It just didn't seem like a year ago. And I think... So my theory is that, like, in that... I mean, nobody was going into that apartment. So the cat just lived in the apartment and there was enough food in there. And the cat was taking showers and... Taking showers. Her hair Still had running water. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, he got in there and he lit his candles and used his... Can- his makeup was still intact. I know. So... Still yeah. great stuff hanging around. I don't know. That was weird, but... Now, do you, uh, do you have a hard time, as I do, believing that Michael Massey and Billy Drago are two different people? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I've never had that confusion, but huh. 100%. Yeah. Because last week... I had, to, I had to look them up, but you're right. I yeah. think even in, in the movie, 
When I was watching it, I thought, oh, he looks like that one guy from that movie we just watched. Because <laughs> we, we just did Gun Crazy when Billy Drago's in. And we talked about how, like, Billy Drago doesn't really look like anyone. He's such a weird-looking dude. Except for Michael Massey, who he looks no, exactly not. like. And I find it very, very, um, like... No, I can totally see it. Uh, yeah, I can't tell the difference between them. Um, we get Tony Todd being cool. Very exciting. Not in it enough. No, no, I agree. I agree. Um, and, oh, and apparently Michael Berryman was either, I don't know if he filmed scenes or not, but he was originally cast, maybe Zach knows what this means, as the Skull Cowboy. I don't, I don't know, know what that means. That, I don't know like, what that means. I aim to be made a big deal of it, where it seemed like, oh, comic people, book people would have known what that meant. Well, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and Ernie Hudson smokes really weird. Does he? I didn't notice. Yeah, like, he kept, like, holding it not, I mean, I don't smoke, so maybe a lot of people do this, and they just don't do it in movies. In in the movies, when people smoke, they tend to hold their cigarette between their index finger and their middle finger, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's how my mom smokes. Yeah, he would hold it between his thumb and his index finger, or his thumb and, like, his middle uh, finger, but not, like, in a, like, I a... I think I've seen people smoke that way. I don't know, he had, like, a pinky up <laughs> thing. I just, I just hit the microphone because I'm trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, smokers, tell us, do you smoke like Ernie Hudson, or do you smoke like Christine's mom? I don't know. Are you going to quit because it's really bad for you? It is very bad for you. I mean, Ernie Hudson quits at the end of this movie, right? I think See, we are like led to believe Hudson. that. Don't be like my <laughs> Be like Ernie Hudson. Um, fun fact, the club setting was apparently yeah. the same club setting they used in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and the Super and Super Mario World. I could totally see that. Oh, yeah. Very oh, yeah. industrial looking. Yes, 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 yes. I just, I wanted to walk the dinosaur the entire time. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, as we said, there was a remake that was going to happen, and they just announced this year, this week that it is no longer happening. Who knows why? I guess, I mean, I guess that's okay. I'm see, sure people would have hit, yeah. but been mad. Well, it's one of those, this is one of those movies where I almost want it to be like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where I kind of want to see it remade every every era right like we're talking about you know we were talking about like the um torture porn era of directed dvd <laughs> horror and if you had made let's say a um oh give me like a wolfman in that era it would look very different than one made five years later that was found footage yeah and if you were to do a crow so we have our, our 90s crow if you were done a crow in like 2003 where it would have been like super gory maybe or super PG thirteen, I don't know. Like so, I'm wondering now if you remake or not even remake. If you make the crow, what what direction are you going, Christine? Yeah, I mean that's that's it's an interesting question. I think that you could do something fun because you know the '90s are alive again, where it could be modern but also kind of '90s aesthetic. Like, you could easily do that. I like it. I like it. I don't know. And yeah. I would just try to be, I would just try to maybe pick a lane. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, that would help. Times. I agree. Uh, <laughs> like, it's cool. It could be, like, it could be, like, straight horror comedy, like some Shaun of the Dead shit. Or it could be, you know, dark and gritty, like, Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> and Always I like Fallen. I think, I think it could be cool either way. I just would prefer it if it was more yeah. consistent. Um, I didn't realize this until now. Uh, this was Alex Perez's first film. Yeah. I mean, I mean obviously done a lot of music videos. All things considered, I mean, it looks good. Yeah. And and as a first feature film, uh, especially with all the everything around it, and I know there's a lot of different 
people have kind of put blame on different people as well. Um, but it is an accomplished debut. This is a impressive film to come out of the gate with, all things considered. Uh, and I think, too, when you then look at you know, his next film's Dark City, mm-hmm. it's a good pairing of, like, seeing how he the things that he started with the crow and how he's he was as much as i I like i don't love dark city um but visually to see him evolve or take the ideas and the things that he starts with in the crow and develop them in dark city is pretty cool Mm -hmm. uh yeah so do you have uh Oh, one other fun fact, not fun fact, but, like, interesting fact that I think also <laughs> really cements, like, what the crow's place in history. I think the movie came out about a month after Kurt Cobain's death. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. And it just, again, just feels like, oh, that somehow makes so much sense. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's of a time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. All right. So are you ready to rate the crow? Um... Yeah, let's do it. All right. Quality of film. I'm going to go 6.75. Okay. Quality of life. Now, when you think about this, this, the influences of this film... Um, aside from Hot Topic, and maybe, who knows, apparently Hot Topic Incorp- like became a public company like a year after this movie came out. So this made Good a difference. Them. And if you shopped at Hot Topic like I did, that this means something. Uh, and I worked for the Hot Topic <gasps> company. You worked for Hot Topic? I worked for Torrid, which is Hot Topic's plus-size sister store. I didn't know that was a thing, first yep. of all. Wow, did you work in a mall? In a mall? Were you in a mall? I worked in a mall. (gasps) Um, When Torrid first started, Torrid was plus size Hot Topic. 100%. It was. Like, you would go and get plus size fishnet shirts. Mm -hmm, Sure. Corsets that actually hold boobs. Yeah. Plus size corsetry. Mm -hmm. You could get, like, big boots with, like, thicker calves. Um, Oh, nice. So it was, like, real plus size clothing, not just, like, bigger. Exactly. They made their own stuff. They had their own stuff. And, um... It has since become, even when I was still there, this was happening. It's more just like more fashionable, younger skewed plus size clothes now. Okay. It doesn't have that same, a lot, like they changed the branding. It used to be like a flaming heart and everything was purple and black and and all that stuff. It's not, it's not like that anymore. But i um, always fascinated by that. The fact that there was such a demand that they, they yeah. had a sister store well, and granted, it, like i said it's changed wow. but it still exists and they're they're everywhere that i mean that's it, it makes so much sense because i mean look we're we're horror fans and we've been to our share of horror conventions and i always say i love going to horror cons because i feel uh very skinny and i am not a skinny woman yeah. and it, you know it's just it's one of those fandoms that you know for maybe for certain reasons or maybe not because you know america is not a very skinny country overall um it certainly has always attracted a you know that not like the i don't want i don't want to start making generalizations because i know i am i am within this group and not within this group and so on but there is that whole like kind of outsider-ness to a lot of this so yeah 
like, yeah, like, there was, like, my friends who were freaks, like, would have been thrilled to have been able to actually exactly. buy clothing that fit from on topic. Um, uh, it's funny, I'm looking I, at Torrid now online, and yeah, it just kind of looks like, um, It's just, off. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, regular plus-size lady stuff. I mean, which I mean, cute, is still fine. It's, like, stuff I'd wear uh, now, but not, like, you know, I kind of was I hoping was... to get some, you know, red bleeding heart, uh, jumpsuits or something. I was definitely, I, I added, there was a time where I did weigh a little bit more than I do now. Um, I was closer to plus sized, but it was, I don't, I'm not, and I hope I'm not offending anybody, but it was fun because I, when I worked there, I was the skinny girl. Um, <laughs> and that was the first and only time in my life that that has ever happened. People would not want me to help them because I was the skinny one. Wow. The skinny one well, even when you said that, when you said you worked there, I was like, I'm surprised. Like, I'm surprised they let you work there because a lot, you know, <laughs> typically, you know, five seven nine hires people five seven nine, and Lane Bryant right. is going to hire plus size women. This was before I got my boobs reduced, so oh, I okay. I had to wear like one X shirts to like okay. fit my boobs, gotcha. and like the, their pants. I think their plus size pant started at the equivalent of a maybe a twelve or a fourteen, probably a fourteen. And at that time, I think I was a fourteen sixteen, which gotcha. is not by no means. Sure. I'm, be 1416 i'm not that far off now um so so like that's great but again they also went up to like 22 Mm -hmm. and there were women that were like no i don't because they felt like i would be mean to them or judge them i guess sure sure i wasn't no no i hear you (laughs) they we got we got like points if we helped people out and sold stuff i just want to (laughs) sell you Man, that's um, I just learned so much about uh, Hot Topics history that I didn't know. Very cool. Uh, I hope everyone found that as informative and fun as I found saying it. Because I, can't, I, really... I just can't believe I didn't know you worked in a mall. Like, I, I love you so much more now. And, and like, Emily, I worked at Build-A-Bear Workshop oh in the mall. My, my respect for you has just skyrocketed. <laughs> I've worked in multiple mall stores, so. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> Did you ever work in a kiosk? Yes. Oh, Jesus. Stop it. I can't handle this. Selling Christmas ornaments. <laughs> well, of course it was, and it was a seasonal job. Uh, what was your food court of choice? I worked at Burger King. That was my first job in the mall. Okay. Um, but I used to like to go to Taco Bell. Yeah, okay. Okay. You weren't a, like, Panda Express kind of? You know, why not? Sometimes, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this, it's like, I, we're talking about, like, the 90s nostalgia, and it, like, it's, so weird how it's a thing now but it totally is and we're the exact age target of it yep um and over our vacation we ended up in a mall and it was the most exciting thing of my life because i go to a mall like once every three years you don't, you don't go to malls in new york it's not no, a thing that happens. yeah manhattan doesn't have malls like there's a manhattan mall but it's not a mall and it's not a mall manhattan mall's not a mall no no no, it's not uh and then like there's still malls out like where my parents live but i just you know when am i ever well, why am know? i gonna go there and we ended up having – this was a great moment. So Brandon's shoes were, were, like, broke. So we had time to kill before, like, after we left the airport. And he kind of he kind of said, like, oh, you know what? Like, let me stop at a footlocker and, and get shoes. And I, like, get, like, oh, are we going to a mall? And he's like, oh, yeah, it looks like it's a mall. And I got so excited. And, I, and it was the most thrilling thing, Christine, because – have you been in a mall recently? Oh, yeah. I live – I live – I live in a place where there's lots and lots of malls. <laughs> Is, are the, like, the, they thriving or are they yes. sad? Yep. 
So all this, of them are. This was a sad mall. So, like, you walk <laughs> in, and, like, there's all these stores that feel like it's 1995, and yeah. then you turn, and there's, like, random, like, there's an arcade that was closed that had, like, this gladiator theme to it, and then you Whoa. see, like, there's a corner where you start, like, you stop because you realize, oh, no, that entire wing is just closed stores. Um, but it was, point is, malls are kind of exciting. I don't know what it is. I am No, um, I get that. Me too. Because when, when I was in New York, I feel like any mainstream retail experience was exciting. I loved walking to Seatown and going to the bodega that I couldn't tell you the name of to get an iced tea. Like, I loved <laughs> that. And it's one of the things I miss the most. But when we would get to go to Target. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would be like, we're going to Target? Hold on. Let me make a list of everything I've ever thought yep. about needing or looking at. Let's walk down every aisle. <laughs> I remember going to visit um, my parents in Long Island a few months after I had, like, moved back to New York. And I went to Target, and I think it was like around Halloween, maybe, so like they had all these decorations. And I walked out of that fucking Target having spent $217. Yeah. On shit. Yeah. Because you're not around it. It was so satisfying. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, so because of that, um, the reminder of malls, my quality of life for this movie has significantly gone up in the last few minutes of conversation. Oh, yeah. We haven't done that yet. No, no. I'm going to say quality of life seven. No, you know what? 7.75. Because this is, Oh, wow. Think of how many things it influenced. It's um, true. Heath Ledger's Joker, perhaps. You know what? You know, 100%. I'm so glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? You make a good point. I was going to say 6.5, but I'll go 7. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. And these are all arbitrary numbers. But um, <laughs> because it, did, it influenced a lot. And things wouldn't be the way they are yeah. without this movie. Yeah. And again, I, I you know, it's... I kind of wish I maybe had been a year older when it came out or that it hit my generation the way it hit that, that not even generation, the people that were two, three years older than us. But at the same time, it gives us now watching it a very different experience. So, yep. Yeah. All right. So that was The Crow, which is streaming on Amazon, if anybody yep, is interested. that's how I watched it. Um, watch it there because you're not going to be able to see a remake anytime soon, apparently. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a quick break and come back and go to the land down under. Eh? Eh? Put is that some, what they say? Put some shrimp on the barbie. Aye, for, Governor. For like Mungo. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> we'll be back. Directed by Joel Anderson, who has not done much else, which is very disappointing. I'm, you know what? I meant to check that. Yeah. Uh, he did Lake Mungo and a short film. And I don't know what else this man does with his life. This is bullshit. Right? 
Like, and it's not even like he's there for, you know, usually, I don't know, like, people have credits for writing some TV show or just an episode of something or something. This dude's got nothing. What you doing with your life? Listen to me, guy. Go do something. He's not dead, is he? I'd be really sad if he was dead. Both because I I just yelled at him. Joel Anderson. Lake Mungo. Make another movie. Let's see if that Googles to anything. Um, No, not particularly. No. All right. So now I found, watched this movie a couple of years ago. I I think it was just from trying to check out those 12 eight films to die for. Um, <laughs> 12 eight films to die for. I mean, there were ultimately like 64 or something because they went on for a while. Um, yeah. And I didn't quite know what to expect watching it, but I remember watching it knowing like, oh, I think this is one that I should turn the lights out for and sit down and watch. Um, and, Did you say it like that? Uh, obviously. And... I loved it, um, and I it just stayed with me. And I often think about this movie and reference this movie and recommend this movie. And then I got to rewatch it this week, which was exciting to do. So tell people now. First of all, was your experience similar in terms of when you watched it and why you watched it and all that? I can't remember when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still in New York, mm-hmm. so I mean, I've been here for a year. I was in Austin for five years, so maybe like seven years ago. Okay. Um, I don't know why I watched it. Maybe somebody said I would like it. I don't know. Um, so I just and I didn't care to look at any of those other eight, any of those <laughs> other twelve eight films to die for. Um, and I watched it. I think I probably got the disc from Netflix. The, you know mm-hmm, that's what that's we did, did back it. then. Oh yes. And um, I had an experience with it. Yeah. And so this was your first rewatch since that initial yes. watch. Yes. yes. Same here. Um, so let me ask the first question. Did Zach like it? Um, I think so. We watched it. We actually watched it last night. Um, and it was late when it wrapped up and we both have to be up kind of early. So we didn't really talk about it. Um, but like you had said, it's, it's playing all these previews and (laughs) I kept saying, I promise it's not like (laughs) this. It's not this. I promise this is good. He was very attentive and I think and he had questions after and that usually mm-hmm. means like when he wants to talk about it, it usually means he likes stuff right right um, yeah, that's, that's how i know when brandon doesn't like something is he's just quiet after the movie it's like oh are you ready for bed i'm like oh so that's how you felt <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and so i think he liked it mm-hmm. but um i liked it too <laughs> so why don't we tell the folks at home what the movie's about and i guess we'll try to avoid spoilers until a certain point where we'll tell people we're going to spoil Oh, yeah, this is going to get spoiled. It has to, because I think in order to go in... You know, we're just going to spoil it, people. So, both of us recommend it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It is... You can rent it for three bucks on Amazon, uh, or just get the disc for, like, even less than that, because it's 2018. Um, But in order to, I think, really explain, I think, how we feel about it, I think it does involve some spoiling. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, people, you've been warned. Spoil away, Christine. Um, so... This movie, this movie is a lot of things. Um, it starts out as it's it's well, it's very much a faux documentary, a fockumentary. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why um, have I never heard that said before? Because it sounds stupid. No, it's um, great to say it that way. <laughs> um, and it's this movie is basically about this girl Alice who um, goes missing, but very quickly revealed that she she died, she drowned. 
um, and her family and what her family has to deal with in the wake of her her death. Um, it is it turns into a ghost story. In mm-hmm. again, hella spoilers. This takes a million turns. Yeah. Please just watch it if you haven't. Yes. I don't want I don't want to ruin it. But I'll, even if I tell you what it's about, you'll probably still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I'd agree. Uh, so it's like there she this dead girl is showing up in pictures she's showing up on film uh, there there the family's house is haunted they seek out a psychic um we find out things about alice's past she was a very secretive girl she had a lot going on um then you find out in one of the bigger twists that her brother had been faking all the footage and the pictures and though she really wasn't a ghost haunting the house and they find out that there was this other thing going on she was in a sexual relationship with their adult neighbors mm-hmm. and there's like they find a tape and a journal and a dot like a date book and they start to uncover more and more and they find out that alice had been seeing the psychic and he had tapes of her talking and that's really when you get introduced to alice and you get to actually see her which is something nice that this movie did that the crow did not do we actually got to see her and experience and be with her and i think that that is extremely important in this movie because it is about her and it's also family in thinking about it which i didn't really pick up on until you just kind of said that the movie does something really cool which is the first what 45 minutes to an hour it's all about everybody else's views of alice yeah right it is the brother talking about his sister and the mother talking about her daughter and how they didn't always get along and the father talking about his daughter and and so we see pictures of her where she's you know where we see like video of her but we don't hear her speak and so we just see glimpses of her and we don't you know she could be anyone she just happens to be these people's daughter and this girl's friend and you know this kid's girlfriend and it's a really interesting way to create this character of you know kind of putting her there so you you care about her because you care you've come to care about the people who've lost her and you know you you think you you don't you know that you don't know her yet but you kind of think you have an idea of her based on what her family is and then finally you get to know her and she's just not at all what anybody knew um and i you're completely right so it does some interesting things with that because it mean it plays with your expectations this movie repeatedly tells you what it is and then changes what it is which i love which is really great and I think is really well done in this case. Um, I this I forgot what this movie did until watching it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you you're finding out all of this stuff about Alice. The there's she had a lot going on in her life. She was I guess sad or worried or scared of something. She had anxiety about something. Um, we find out that all these pictures had been faked. She's not really a ghost. She's she's actually dead. I mean, at one point they exhume her because mm-hmm. they're not sure if she's really dead. Um, and then it takes another turn and the titular Lake Mungo comes into play and she was on a class trip camping in this, like, this lake that just looks like dirt, but I guess it's an Australian thing. Um, <laughs> and maybe it fills up with water sometime. I'm ignorant. And she something terrible happened to her there apparently so the family goes to find out what it is and they find this thing she buries and it's all of her personal belongings and her phone and they look at her phone and uh she 
basically took video on her crappy little Nokia phone <laughs> of her dead self yeah. out in the middle of this lake. And it's so fucking upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's basically it. Like, she, the the big reveal is that she knew she was going to die. Yeah. And well, I, I have thoughts and theories. But then the end of the movie closes. And I remember the, f- so when, when they showed the cell phone footage the first time I saw it, I remember losing my fucking mind mm-hmm. and just weeping. And then the movie quickly, quickly after that, the movie ends. And it it ends with the pictures that Matthew, her brother, took and the video that he doctored and that shows you where Alice really was in those pictures. Oh my I god! I am getting the chills as you say this! Like my, my, The hair on my arms is standing up! Oh, so you could see where she actually was because the whole time she was there. Yeah. So there's a very straight way to take this movie as, as a haunting. But also the watching it this time and knowing what was going to happen because I mean it, like I said it goes all over the place yeah. and you don't really know until you're at the end what is that it's in the end going to be about so I knew that going in and upon this rewatch it really made me think about time and about that it wasn't a ghost it, it wasn't mm. Alice's ghost it was an echo mm. it was like like di- like more like dimensional stuff and time folding in on itself because there's the story the father tells at one point about he watches Alice walk into the room and then she yeah. just runs and says get out get out get out at him yeah. well there's video footage of her doing that yeah so it happened chills. So <laughs> it, it happened and there's her mother saying you know I dreamt that she was standing over the bed but and Alice did that and she, Alice dreamt that herself so there's this weird thing to me about like none of the stuff she saw or did didn't actually happen like she did she did end up dead and did look like that she did you know that was her house yeah. of course she would be in the yard or be places or say these things like so i don't know i didn't see it as so ghostly this time yeah um it, it's i think this time around and I don't know why I did. I think it was just kind of just the way I was watching it. I think I was spent watching it so much more as a story of the survivors. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to actually immediately like rewatch it and watch it for Alice and watch it that way. Um, in part, I think it's that um, the cast playing her family are so good. They're really good. That mother and father, and I, you know, if you look them up, like, it looks like they're all working actors, and it looks like they've all primarily worked in Australia. Like, it's all that, like, McLeod's daughters and all those things that Mm -hmm, I know are super mm -hmm. Australian. But they both are so believable. And I think a lot of their dialogue was kind of actor-driven. I think... They kind of, they had each scene like a skeleton of what the scene was and what it had to do, but I think the dialogue itself I think was mostly the actors just talking and kind of. I mean, it feels really lived in. Very much, and, yeah. And that's that's tough because with this format of this fake documentary, like you don't a lot of lower budget found footage movies will go with that, like talking heads yeah. and stuff, and um, sometimes it really it can take you out, like sure people aren't really selling it you know and what's interesting now as i'm thinking about this i'm always fully on board with this as a family and especially the way they're all interviewed separately 
Yeah. Right? The, the husband, the wife are in separate rooms telling separate stories about the same events and the same people. And it's really looking at it now, whether it's the way it's put together, plus the performances, it only dawned on me now, like, this: these people are such a believable married couple, and yet most of their scenes are never together, and that groundwork had to be... Like, I wonder... I don't know the process of this movie. I'm curious if they started by doing all those home videos just so that the cast could kind of hang out and maybe get to know each other. Like, I have no idea. Because it's really interesting that these people are so absolutely 100% believable as a family and yet they're rarely in a scene together as a family yeah it's it's an impressive feat um from both filmmaking and acting certainly and it's i mean there's so much about it because when i when i told brandon about it i remembered the first time i watched it uh watching it and at a certain point in the movie pausing it to go to the bathroom and I didn't really have to go to the bathroom and I don't usually like to stop a movie especially like a creepy one to do that Mm -hmm. but I remember feeling as though I need a quick break like this is too much and he was asking me after he's like what scene was that where you felt that and I had no memory of it I don't remember if it was when I I mean I don't think it was so late that it was at the beach I'm not usually somebody that gets like creeped out by the pictures so I don't think it was that it might have even been the mother talking about walking into other people's houses and oh my god that's so upsetting it really is I mean this is a movie you can look at this as a scary movie you can look at this as a story about you know knowing someone it's also it is very much I think you know a meditation on grief and what grief means um because especially it, to the point, not to cut you off, especially please. to the point be, that it is a meditation on Alice's own grief. Yeah. Because she knows what's going to happen to a yeah. degree. I mean, you can argue how much she knows, but she even says, like, the the movie opens and then it, it, the dialogue comes back again. Like, she feels like something bad's going to happen, but she feels like it already has happened and she's just waiting for it to catch up with her. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's so chilling. So it's like yep. she has to come to terms with the fact that she she maybe knows more than she understands mm-hmm. and how to handle that and the burying of her her personal effects is so upsetting it is yeah because it's just something very there's something very primal about that yes right like every ghost story where it's like that one object or that one item that you know is is that conduit to them and in this case it's that yeah like the thought of being a teenager and burying your cell phone and your favorite bracelet because something is compelling you to do that and within that moment you also meet your ghost self or your dead self like that would fuck me up that that made me so intensely upset it made me upset when you find like i think it's creepy when you find out like because they 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 do the reveal but then it's kind of like not everything because you find out matthew faked all that stuff Mm -hmm. but then there there were other things happening and there were other stories which which i yeah and i remember when i first watched it and the the moment when you find out the fakes are the pictures are faked it's such a like letdown in a sense because it's creepy and you're into it and all of a sudden it's yeah no well that wasn't real and what's brilliant about it is it just disarms you so much Mm-hmm. Because now you're completely at that point where, like, the boy who cried wolf, we're now, okay, well, now I know not to trust anything I see with my eyes. Oh, wait, but these things are real and they're happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, I mean, the psychic, this psychic guy is kind of, you know, he's, he's not really making me believe anything. Oh, but wait a minute, he did have this thing going on. And 
it just keeps you it doesn't give you answers and i i love ambivalent movies that are done well yeah um it's definitely something i've come to appreciate more and the movie this reminds and this this has been on my mind a lot mostly because i know amazon just did a remake of it and i haven't watched it yet oh picnic at hanging rock totally yeah yeah i mean granted i haven't watched it yet either have you seen the original though right yeah okay um the i love the original picnic at hanging rock uh it's it could just be that they are both Australian movies and are, are also very Australian movies. And maybe that's why mm-hmm. certainly one of the reasons why I associate this movie with that. But I think there's also something really, I think there are ties to it in that it is this sort of, you know, a female teenager and, you know, they're with Alice, like they, they don't push it too far, but there's clearly, look, she's 16 she has a boyfriend who you meet the boyfriend and he's um, so young and just clearly whatever relationship they had, you know, he kind of says like, I guess I didn't know her at all. Yeah. It was very superficial. Yeah. And you know that she, I mean, she has some kind of sexual relationship with this couple that lives next door. Mm-hmm. Um, we never find out the nature of that. You know, she is 16. Which, which I liked. Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely yeah. inappropriate and right. And illegal. Sexual yeah. Rape and- all that stuff but like you're never you're never shown like it never makes alice a victim unnecessarily i right. mean although it is based around her death yeah like, but yet it's her not parents are, her parents are super upset about it right. and we get that but in, in even consensual sex at that age with adults it's the adult's responsibility not to do right. it and but adults it never... that knew her for several exactly. years when she was very it, young it never paints her as this like yeah this abuse victim and i'm not again i'm not condoning any type <laughs> of statutory situations it was just interesting that it presented information and then almost didn't it's like it didn't pass judgment on it it, it does that thing and i wish i could remember i feel like we've covered a few movies like this that do this and i love when they do it brings in this storyline and this subject matter that you think again like okay well that obviously has something mean something because mm-hmm. you know like no matter what it was wrong and this and that but the movie is so specific about not giving you the information you need to be able to make that decision you don't get to make that decision because you're not alice and you don't have ultimately yep. you have no idea what went on between these three people and as much as it would be so easy because you think oh well obviously he had something to do with her death mm-hmm no, the movie blatantly introduces material not to like throw you on a different I don't think it's cheating you. It's not trying to make you think, oh, this storyline now, it's a twist. No, it just puts it there to make things more complicated because this 16-year-old girl was really complicated. Yeah, it gives her a lot more credit. Like, again, unlike <laughs> Shelley, she's a real character. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just incredibly well done. It's incredibly well done. It didn't upset me nearly as much as the first time. Me too. I think there's a lot of of loss. And I think I interpreted um, the, the pictures at the end, the first time I watched it, of Alice being there um, in a very sad way. Sure. Like, she was there the whole time, and they didn't see her. So, like, Which kind of makes sense, advanced. though, in a, in a way, because nobody ever really saw Alice to an extent. Nobody saw there was an abandonment and a feeling of loneliness to yeah. it the first time I watched it. Like, in, like one that affected me to racking sobs. Yeah. That, that was absent this time because 
I don't know. I just, maybe I'm putting too much of myself into sure. it. But, like, she, I felt like, sure, maybe that was still there. But there was just something more interesting, I guess, mm-hmm. with the thinking of, was she a ghost or was this just this weird folding of time in on itself mm. so that she saw things and other people saw things that out of order, I guess. Right, right, right. And I think one, like one, another way that you could rewatch this movie and really focus it is to really pay attention to the relationship between her and her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, the way the mother starts you know, because the mother's way of dealing with, and I mean, the, the all three of them deal with it very differently, as everybody deals with grief differently. Whereas the father just goes back to work and you know acts as like nothing happened, and the brother kind of starts becoming artistic and getting involved in photography and all that. And for the mother, she just she starts wandering into strangers' houses, and and when then when she starts talking about Alice, and especially the more she learns about her, it really is this acknowledgement on her part that. You know, she says, there was a part of my mother that she never gave it to me. And I know I did that with Alice. That I held something back as a mother the same way my mother did. And so we would fight and we wouldn't listen to each other. And, you know, um, right. And she has that dream where Alice is like reaching, is like, you know, calling for her. And she just doesn't see her and doesn't like acknowledge her. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so, it's you know it's one of those like look it, it's tragic because that you know I, i'm not a mother but if i had that relationship with my daughter i would feel terrible about that and everything but at the same time like it's so real and common and how many women have that relationship with their mother and in this case for it to maybe even be another one of those things manifesting into what happens here yeah um it's just really thoughtful and I think heavy and um, deep, very deeper than, you know, a simple ghost story. For sure. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. I'm so glad I bought it. Yeah, me too. Me too. As soon as we decided to, I'm like, I just, I need to own this movie. Because as soon as, as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm like, I am going to sit back and rewatch this in a few weeks. Because I, I think it's one that I will revisit many times in my life. I think depending on where you're at in life, you'll probably focus on different things differently. Yeah. I mean, a movie that immediately springs to mind for me is The Shining. Sure. Depending, depending on where I am in life, I've watched that movie differently. I mean... It's, first it's, actually, it's a great comparison because it's also one of those whose whose eyes do you watch it from exactly. of this family. Yeah. And it's very easy. Like, I remember maybe even as recently as like five or six years ago, I watched it and I completely related to Danny. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. it's me and Danny in this. Yeah. And then the, the last time I was like, oh, my God, this is Wendy's movie. Right. It's completely different depending on where you are. Sure. So, like. I don't know. Like, I definitely feel that in, in, in this. It, there's different things to be taken away dependent on where you are emotionally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, this is also making me remember I really need to check out the new Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, me too. Yeah. I, I've been stupid busy and haven't gotten a chance to watch anything. A lot of interesting stuff has shown up in different platforms, sure. and I would really like to watch that movie. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah. I've debated if we should ever cover Picnic at Hanging Rock. I I love that movie. My only worry is I feel like so I many other podcasts. I don't remember a lot of it. Have you not watched it in a while? No, it's been forever. Oh. I don't want to say forever, but, like, I forget things real fast. Yeah. <laughs> we, like, okay, well, um, do you have do you have something you want to watch next time? I don't know. Do you want to do Picnic at Hanging Rock next time? Yes. Okay. Cool. I don't think I don't think Zach's ever seen it. I know Brandon hasn't. And I'm I'm so curious because I think it's again it's a case where like, ooh, he might hate it. It's it's, yeah. but it's ooh. I mean, again, it's been a while since I watched it, but um, I have strong feelings and I think it will be a good follow through from this. So hey guys, so next time we're what? covering Picnic at Hanging Rock with something Christine will pick to pair it with. Who, who can say what who it'll can be? Say will it involve picnics? Will it involve? Victorians? It'll be just about know. rocks. Only hanging rocks. <laughs> that, that very specific uh, subgenre of hanging rock movies. Oh, They're Peter probably... Weir directed this. He I have did. no, I have no memory of watching this oh, movie. I know, I know, I've seen it. Well, I'm sure a lot of people wrote about it for the magazine back in the day. Well, it was, it was one of those movies early on. I was like, I need to watch this, and I did, and then I just kind of forgot mm-hmm. gotcha okay well that was easy <laughs> i think i liked it oh we should probably rate like mumbo before we uh cl- close up <laughs> shop here let's do it all right quality of film nine yeah i'm i'm hovering between 8.75 and nine so <laughs> we'll, we'll say 8.875 to uh make up the difference <laughs> so do De- diplomatic. I think <laughs> what I wanted to say. I almost called you democratic. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Uh, quality of life. Ten. Yeah, I'm going nine on that one. Woo! All right. So Lake Mungo, folks, get on it if you haven't already. Christine, do you have any streaming watches that you recommend to the fine people at home? I do, and I don't remember if I recommended this <laughs> back when I first watched it. But guess what? I'm going to recommend it again. Why not? Um. I was scrolling through Amazon Prime and a movie popped up and I was like, I liked that movie so much. Why are they pushing it? And then I realized it's because of who it, who's in it. And I read the write-up and it, their credits had completely changed. So it's called Violet and Daisy. <gasps> yes! <laughs> so I'm just saying it again because Amazon was pushing it at me. Because I think I had watched it on Netflix originally. You know what's but... funny? I think... No, I don't think um, you recommended it before. I think I did. Maybe you did. Yeah. I liked it so much when I saw it. And it's and it's Alexis Bledel and um, Saoirse Ronan, yep. whose name I now know how to say. But um, it and J- says, James like, Gandolfini, right? Yep, James yeah. Gandolfini is in it. So they say, like, Alexis Bledel from The Handmaid's Tale and <laughs> Saoirse Ronan from Lady Bird. And I was like, hey, they changed that. That's very relevant. So... To me, it, it really made me want to re-recommend it to everybody because um, these are still two powerhouses that are actively working and putting out amazing stuff. Yeah, making great and, choices, too. So, And this movie is so good. Yeah. And <laughs> so here's something, folks, I would urge you, because I remember when I sat down to watch it, the first, like, five, ten minutes, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I can deal with this. And I could. Because it's very stylized dialogue. Yep which can turn you off but keep keep going you'll get past it and it will totally it, work for you it takes them it's like when, when people say like when you, they first start watching a shakespeare adaptation yeah. like the first 
six lines sound like gibberish and then it just takes you a minute to get into the rhythm of it Mm -hmm. this was the same thing i remember feeling the same way yeah it's it's weird it but like you'll get into it and and they world build it's a whole they create a whole world and it's great yeah it's and it's it's really wonderful i remember loving it and recommending it the same way um cool all right my recommend is on netflix and um, this one I watched, I talked about a few months ago just because I, I think we rented it, but now it is on Netflix streaming. Oh, and fun. I'm putting it here because it kind of like, uh, it's, it's a documentary, and it's like a real documentary, but with stuff in it, and it's called The Galapagos Affair, Satan Comes to Eden. I think I remember you talking about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a documentary about back in the, ooh, I think it's like the early 1900s, when a couple of different scientists moved to the Galapagos to do like research and study, but mm-hmm. you ended up having this weird, um, this kind of very strange community where you had different families living there that didn't really want to communicate with each other, mm-hmm. um, but end up because of the nature of where they are, they do. Eventually, somebody is murdered. And so it's told just by letters back and forth. Oh, and cool. It's, it's just a really interesting story made fascinating by kind of how they tell it so just a cool different watch that i would recommend okay you said netflix right it is on netflix yeah the galapagos affair all right and then when next we meet we're going to talk about picnic at hanging rock and something else and something else about a picnic why not i like picnics or a rock or uh i don't know or an at We'll figure, figure it out. Then. We'll figure it out, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to say to the fine people of the world? I got nothing. Nah, me neither. All right. Later. Bye. Make me over.